Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 38, Talking Throw-Ins with Thomas Gronemark. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Big Chill Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Thomas Gronemark, who's a football coach specializing in throw-ins. Uh, he's worked with some really high-profile top European clubs like Liverpool and Ajax. Uh, he held, I believe, held the world record for the world's longest throw. Well, we can get into that later and, and see um, talk about that a little more. But thanks for joining us, and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, you're absolutely welcome. I'm really delighted to be here. So thanks a lot. Um, I guess to get off the mark, I think probably a lot of our listeners, and I'm, I'm sure you get to ask this question a lot. What exactly do you do as a throw-in coach with top football teams? Sort of what's your goal? What specifically do you work on? You can say uh, I'm working on two different uh, really specific goals. Uh, the first one is keeping possession uh, when my team has a throw-in. And you can also say the opposite, when our opponents have a throw-in, take the ball from them. And then the other thing is creating chances and scoring goals after throw-in situations all around the pitch. So that's the, the two main goals. And the way I'm doing it is like three different things is uh, coaching and training the, the teams on the pitch. So having a lot of different uh, throw-in drills. Then I'm also doing talks for the players, for the, the head coaches, managers, assistant coaches, so they can like see what is the bigger point here. And then, and then I'm also doing throw-in analysis of the matches. So if the, after every match, um, then I'm getting the, the attacking, defending throw-ins from the, from the teams. And then I'm sending back a, a throw-in analysis to, for example, Jürgen Klopp, if it's uh, at Liverpool FC. So, so that, that's the way I'm helping the teams. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't expect that you were also working with them on sort of the defensive aspect of it. I Kind of when I imagined what you were working on, it was more their throw-ins themselves. It's interesting to find out that you're also helping with them, how they sort of defend throw-ins. Yeah, you can say everything you can imagine around a, a throw-in uh, at a football match. It's I'm I'm working with that. I've been working with that professionally since uh, 2004, so for 16 years. So everything you can imagine happening uh, at the pitch, um, I'm working with that. But I'm also working with the ball boys, the ball girls. I'm also in some clubs. I'm also working on how. Uh, how can we change the stadium itself so it's it's um, it's better for the throw-in? So, so everything you can imagine around the throw-in, I'm working with that. I mean, this might kind of take us off on a little bit of a tangent, but that's really fascinating to me. So, what exactly? Sort of, how are you changing? If we take Liverpool for example, have you done anything specific to Anfield that's changed either how the ball boys or ball girls approach their work, and also in terms of the layout of the field, if it's the the sort of advertising hoardings or anything else yeah first of all i've been working a lot with uh <clears throat> with the ball boys ball girls not directly myself but i've like educated the staff in what to tell the ball boys and ball girls so one of the most important things is to get the ball fast when you have a throw in so and and 
that there can be a big difference between having the ball after two and a half seconds or having it after five and a half seconds. So, so that's one of the things. And then I'll say I've also been measuring Anfield regarding the, the run-in and so for the throw-in. But I'll say that's more important if you have a team who are really depending on long throw-ins. And in, in Liverpool FC, we're not really using the long throw-in as a set-piece weapon. But for example, uh, FC Midtjylland, who are also playing against Liverpool FC in, in the Champions League group here, I've been working with them for many years. And, and we... Uh, FC Midtjylland are doing a lot of long throw-ins and here we have like changed the stadium itself so it's they have a better uh, approach to the running and so 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 yeah you you can work with a lot of things that not uh, it's not necessarily with with uh, the game or the uh, you know the pitch or the players to do so so yeah, there, there's a lot of things to do with the throw-ins I, now you said that I just picture you with a stopwatch with the ball boys and the ball girls just having them do crazy conditioning sprints throughout like hours after hours screaming at them making them get the ball in faster yeah yeah <laughs> you're totally right you could could do that but for me it's more my more about you know awareness to be ready to be ready to throw that ball or to, or to be be aware of which player do want uh, to want to have the, the ball because you know in most teams it's only the fullbacks who are throwing but if you see a Liverpool match, there are normally six, seven, eight different players throwing the ball. Of course, mostly the fullbacks, but often it's better that it's uh, Sadio Mane who takes the ball or, or uh, Hendo also who takes the ball. So, so as a ball boy or ball girl, you have to be prepared to throw it to the right, the right player. You can say at the moment there are no ball boys, ball girls because we have the corona. The players have to pick the ball up themselves unless it's uh, like like a player from the bench or one of the coaches who can get the ball so but but in normal circumstances um, the ball boys ball girls have a really important role to play that's interesting do you I was going to ask actually how maybe the sort of COVID protocols then have impacted what you do in terms of the sort of placement on the cones and, and every every how that's being dealt with so sort of partly that is question one and then question two do you then instruct the ball boys and the the ball boy the ball boys and the ball girls to uh, re- respond less quickly when it's an opposition throw-in? Is that kind of gamesmanship come into it a little bit, or is that I'm not allowed to say that? But is that also part of the tactic when you're the home side? I always say to the ball boys when the other ones get a, gets a throw in, shoot it out of the stadium as far as you can. No, <laughs> no, I'll say for me. It's um, it's really important that I'll always try to give give uh, you know the best options for both teams, even though I'm only coaching one of the teams because I think it's a little bit about ethics. <clears throat> so I just want to to make the the game be better uh, around the throw-in. So so if 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 a player from the opposite team wants to have the ball fast, I think a ball boy or ball girl should just throw it fast to this player. So, so for me, it's about raising the, the bar of the game itself. Um, I think most of the things we can prove in football is around ethics and being fair to the other team or the opponents, the other players. So... <clears throat> I think things like like standing in front of the ball when the opponents have a free kick or taking the ball 
uh, throw it away, shoot it away. I think you should, and I think it's it's for every team. I think it should give a yellow card. And why do I think it should do that? If you, I don't know if you know the the, the sport handball. It's very popular in Denmark, also a lot of many countries in Europe. And in handball, uh, counterattacks are really important. And if there's like, if there's like a free throw for the other team, if the player from from the team who's the, the throw is against if he's not uh, putting the ball directly down to the ground and, and laid still this player would get a get a two minute penalty and that's not good and the reason why is that counterattacks are so important in handball so you're destroying the game if you're not giving the ball um the same second or if you throw it away <clears throat> and it's the same with football we've just uh, developed such a bad culture around standing in front of the ball or shooting the ball away and and most of the counter-attack opportunities is, is is wasted so i think that that being fair um is is one of the most important parts of the game and we're not really treating that well at the moment because it's been a part of the culture you're just doing that and no if you change the rule with getting a yellow giving a yellow card if you're standing in front of the ball shooting the ball away there'll be like ten thousand yellow cards in the first season but they'll fall into place and then we'll have a much better game so so back to your question with with the ball boys giving the ball I think you just 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 give the ball fast to the players who are want to have it fast, no matter what team it is. So yeah, no, I think that's a good approach to have. It would be great if uh, if all the teams and all the players and all the coaches thought that way. I think the sport overall would be much better off. I thought another interesting thing you kind of mentioned there was that traditionally it's fullbacks uh, taking throw-ins, but then when you look at a side like Liverpool, you might want it to be Sadio Mane or Henderson. How do you determine who the best player is to take a throw in? Is or the sort of obviously if it's a long, you know, someone with the ability to actually take a long throw in, that's a very particular skill. But just in terms of someone mm-hmm. in like Mane who maybe doesn't possess that aspect, how do you determine who the best person is? Uh, the players determine it uh, <clears throat> themselves. You can say in general, um, we we can come into that later. But I'm working with a philosophy called the long, the fast, and the clever throw in. And here we're talking about the fast throw-ins. And, and one of the most important things is to get the ball fast. But it's not only the, the player who's closest who has to get the ball. It's also the players around him who has to react fast. And, and then some people might think that, hey, oh, it's just all about throwing the ball fast. No, because one of the worst things you can do is throw the ball fast and then throw it into a pressure zone. So, so what you really want to do is that First, first players getting the ball really fast, seeing if there's a good option to throw it. If there's a good option, take it. If there's a bad option, then wait or wait for the fullback. And that's what I'm coaching the players in because you can just, you can not just say to the player, okay, take the ball fast. If it's a good option, take it. If not, don't take it. So I have like hundreds of drills that's learning the players what is a good option, how to take it fast, how to react fast, how to see different kinds of space on the pitch. So so, um, so you can say it, it's the players themselves who are determining who should take the throw in or if they should take it fast or have patience. And you can only learn the players that by educating them. It's not, it's not like learning them that on... 
uh, in a week or so, or just showing something on a board. It's like building it up from scratch by, first of all, of course, learning them to throw longer, as I do, learning them to throw precise, <clears throat> learning them about basic space creation, how to create space all around the pitch, and then also when to throw fast, when to have patience and wait. So that's like all the basic knowledge. So, um, so, so again, to, to go through the, the long, fast and clever throwing philosophy. First of all, the long throwing, I'm working with uh, the player's throwing technique, how they, they can throw uh, longer. I have 30 different technical parameters using video analysis. <clears throat> Most players are improving between five and 10 meters with my training, some up to 15 meters. And even though a team like Liverpool FC, we're not taking any long throw in towards the opponent's goal, it's really important to have players who are throw, throwing as far as possible because the, the longer you throw, the greater throwing area you have, then you can throw to more players. So even in clubs like Liverpool and Ajax, where we're not doing any uh, long throw in towards the opponent's goal, it's really important to coach that long throw in. Then the fast throwing, that's again, as I mentioned before, uh, know when to throw fast, react fast, but also how to... Uh, mark the opponent's fast pick because that's also important, putting putting the right pressure, different kinds of pressure. And then it's also counter-attack throw-ins. That's also the last part of the fast throw-ins because you can't be of silent throwing. So so you can use that not every time, but once in a while. And then the the last part of my long, fast and clever throw-in philosophy is the clever throw-ins. And here I'm working with three different zones and I'm having approximately 50 different throw-in tools. So there are different options in and tools in, in each zone. And, and again, as I mentioned before, you can't just say, okay, use this tool. And because they have to learn it all from, from the basics. So in general, you can say I'm, I'm raising the players throwing in, throw in intelligence. And some analysis people on, on social media have said, oh, um, we... If you just do like Liverpool did there, you can you can do the same. No, because uh, I'm I'm not putting situations up like a playbook in American football where you're only doing one thing. No, the players have all these different options, and on top of that, they're using their own fantasy and imagination. So you can say every play we do is like like really unique play. It's just because the players have been trained to have uh, really high throwing intelligence, and then I'm also using the players, what I call individual throw-in superpowers, because some players are fast, some players have a good first touch, some players are good at protecting the ball. So we can use these in, in different situations. So that was like a short explanation of my long, fast and clever throw-in philosophy. It's really fascinating. I have to say, like it's it's a part of the game that I think probably most people, even who follow the game really closely, probably never really think about, uh, which is kind of interesting from... A component of the game that you know i don't know how many throw-ins there are on average per match i'm sure you probably do but uh <laughs> you know such a key sort of essential part of a, of a football match that probably kind of goes unnoticed which maybe brings us on to another question i know that there's been a degree of skepticism sometimes um as to sort of how impactful your work can be um i i I, I've sort of read a little bit about what your reaction to that is, but how do you, how, how often is it that you either approach a club or, or sort of speak to people working elsewhere and they, they don't understand why you'd need a throw-in coach 
and sort of what's your typical answer to someone who who is skeptical about the impact it can have? First of all, I'll say that uh, this has really changed a lot. Of course, I've been a throwing coach since 2004, where I started with my first professional team in Denmark. Uh, and it was mostly like people in Denmark who were skeptical because it was only Danish people who knew about me. <laughs> so, but when, when it was, I started in Liverpool FC July 2018, and it was like leaked to the press in the August 18. And of course, there was a lot of skeptical people there. Uh, criticizing me and and that's okay I'll come back to that later uh, but that has really changed from really a lot of people being skeptical to I'll say almost every every uh, person doesn't matter if it's a fan if it's players if it's uh, pundits if it's uh, head coaches assistant coaches there are like I don't know five ten people writing to me every day like on LinkedIn or yeah, you know, Facebook or direct mail thanking me for the, for the inspiration. So it's really been changing. And, and one of the really great signs is that rival fans, also rival fans from Liverpool FC are beginning to saying, hey, we want a throwing coach too, or even we want the throwing coach from Liverpool FC. So that's a really good sign that, that times are changing. And I'm really happy about that. But in general, you can also say about criticism skepticism how do you handle that or how have i handled that I, i'm putting like criticism up in three different things like i call it the, the good the bad and the ugly criticism and first of all the good criticism that's you know we can't live without that and i think that's perhaps the most important things in our lives that people are are questioning the things we're doing and the good criticism is when I, I say it's constructive, where people are saying, hey, couldn't we do it in another way? That'll be good. And I'm, even though I'm probably the guy in the world who knows most about throw-ins, then I'm listening a lot to players. I'm listening a lot to the other coaches. And for example, one day, Hendo said to me, I think it was last season, oh, couldn't we do that, that exercise instead of doing it directly into the pitch? Couldn't we do it in 45-degree angle to the pitch? So it's more relevant for the match itself. And I, and I said, hey, let me think about it. And I thought, hey, I think you're right. Let's try it. And it was better. I had a, with Ajax last season, uh, it was Christian Paulsen, assistant coach, who said, oh, fantastic grill, but I think it would be even better if we put in two small goals there. And I said, hey, let's try it. And, and the drill was even better. So that's what I'm calling the, the good uh, criticism. Then there is the bad criticism. And that's criticism where people like first are saying, oh, Oh, I don't really believe you. I don't think it's it's worth to have throwing coaching. And and then a lot of these people, when if you're giving them some knowledge or asking them a question, for example, when I'm saying to to people, some are saying, "Oh, throw-ins, it's only a small small thing in football. It doesn't really matter." Then I'm saying, "Did you know that there are actually between?" 40 to 60 throw-ins in a match and most teams are possessing under 50% of the occasions when they have a throw-in under pressure. And then most of these people say, hey, hey, I didn't know that. And often they'll turn into like, like you know, good connections or you have a good feeling with them or, or perhaps they'll even cooperate with you in the future. So we shouldn't, so if people are like questioning us in a way that's not necessarily constructive, you can often you know, make a lot of good things about that. So that's what I call a bad criticism. It can be turn out good. And then the last thing is the ugly criticism where 
people are only like after you criticizing you to like earn money themselves or get famous themselves or just to try to put you down where it's really personal and i tried that a couple of times with a few pundits like Andy Gray, like Steve Nichol, and I got the feeling they were not really interested in knowing anything about throw-ins or my work or what I do in Liverpool or other clubs. It was only a question about, okay, let's let get some more viewers because, because we, we're making fun of that throwing course. And I'll just say that in, in both occasions, occasions, it's really backlast so so it's been um, giving me a lot of um, you know a lot of uh, positive attention so so yeah I think criticism skepticism um, yeah it's fantastic we, we are really it, it's it's a fantastic part of our life but it, if it's so personal that it's like only to try to destroy you 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 just have to brush it off, talk with some good people around you and uh, try to get through it. Yeah, the the Andy Gray one particularly is of interest because obviously the, the, the reasons why, you know, getting sacked aside and things like that, they prided themselves on statistics and data and looking at the science of how things improve for like corners or average times this person scores from the penalty box. So it seems strange that you would then denounce the science of a throw-in or like seeing possession increased or something like that. That That's a particularly strange one, I guess, to hear. Yeah, first first of all, you can say with that clip with with, um, with Andy Gray and Richard Keyes, you can say it was not very scientific. It was more, <laughs> yeah, you can see the clip on YouTube. Like, yeah. <laughs> a throw-in coach. <laughs> laughed like half the clippers so um and it's not and it's really important for me to say it's not because you can't laugh of me because often when i'm talking about myself i'm referring to my job as the weirdest job in the world when i'm i do i'm doing a lot of talks too i'm also like using a lot of humor around my job too and you know being sports could have been calling me and saying hey We've heard you've been a throwing coach. We think it's totally crazy. Uh, and they could also say, okay, we laughed when we heard it. But hey, but we want to invite you to the studio because first of all, we think it could be entertaining. But we really want to know what, what is this throwing coaching you are doing? We could have had the, perhaps the, one of the best uh, clips ever in sport television where we both had, have laughed because it, it seems like Annie Gray is a guy who, who likes to laugh too. And, but we could also have been giving a lot of knowledge to the audience, but instead they choose to like, for me, go the wrong path. So we, we could have changed that, but, but, but yeah, it was too late. And like 14 days after when, when, you know, I think Andy Gray and, and being sports had so much criticism to them, they, they being sports contacted me and, and said, hey, we want to, to have you in the studio now. And the Gray still think it's like, I don't know how they mentioned, but like it's it's crap, this throwing coaching. And, and Richard Keys think it, it's all right. But you know, I said no to them at that point because I couldn't really see myself winning there because as long as there was one in the studio who whose only interest was to like, I felt make fun of me. So I just said no, even though <laughs> it, it yeah, a lot of people would have seen it. 
Yeah, or you and, can just and, add yourself to the list. So you can throw in coaches and female linesmen, things that uh, Andy Gray doesn't want in the in one in modern football. So he's <laughs> and and um, I, I I understand where you're coming from too, because you know when you say those statistics about how many throw-ins there are, and that the the possession is actually almost under fifty percent. Being an American, I always like to relate it back to some American sports. And I think you know if you were a basketball team and you were giving up as a defensive team rebounds to the offensive team more than 50%, they'd be so heavily criticized for their bad rebounding skills or for were hockey and you had, you know, a really bad faceoff percentage, that team would be heavily criticized. And, you know, those are happening at about the same rate that you're saying throw-ins are happening. So it's, it's crazy to me that it's been so overlooked that a spot where you can retain possession 70, 80, almost 90% of the time and teams are, are forfeiting it to 40%. And that's not being addressed. That's, you know, that, that is pretty shocking to think about. Yeah. yeah, you're totally right. And you can say, I think the only reason why I've been a throwing coach and the only reason why it's now happening with the throw-ins in the football world is, is because I'm not coming from football. Yo, yeah, you can say I've been playing on the, in the highest Danish U19 league and also played like with great players like Thomas Graveson, who really later played uh, for Real Madrid. So... <clears throat> But but pretty early in my my around twenty years old, I, I changed to athletics and came on the Danish national team. There were six years. I was four years on the Danish national bobsleigh team, and I've been playing like you're saying, been playing a lot of street basketball. Been doing that my whole life. Also been playing uh, in a club one year and seeing. I think almost sometimes even more NBA than I'm seeing seeing football. So I, I've been coming with this with this uh, like other approach than normal football coaches. And I, I, when I started in 2004, it was only as a long throwing coach because I, I, it was in the middle of my bobsleigh period. And I thought, hey, if I can make a good long throw in myself, kind of cheats other players to do it. So I went down to my local library when I came home from that bobsleigh trip to find a book about throw-ins, but there was nothing at all. And I couldn't believe it because at that time we played football for like 130 years and so many situations. So, <clears throat> so I started as a long throwing coach after making a course after six months or so with my first pro club in Denmark. And then like three years later, I've been coming to a club where when I was hired, they were really like into long throw-ins and then the, the head coach, coach was fired and then I had another coach who don't want to do long throw-ins and I was pretty frustrated even, even though I was paid I couldn't really strain the long throw-ins so I watched uh, I watched a match, a match with this team and they had a just a pretty normal and that was in 2007 a, a normal throw-in in the middle of the pitch and they lost the ball and then they lost the next one and the next one again. And I was totally in shock because I thought it was only like youth players and amateur players who who were so bad at, 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 a, at a pretty normal throw in, in the middle of the pitch. And then I started uh, seeing all the football matches I could. And I was totally in shock because it was the same, not only in Danish Superliga, but also Premier League, Champions League, Bundesliga, CAR, La Liga. So low, 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 low level of throwing intelligence and it was pretty easy for me to see that they hadn't had no strategy and it, it's a little bit the same now of course now it's it's beginning to change a little bit also with the clubs i'm not coaching but you know it was the same no movement from the players 
And because of no movement from the players, the fullback was getting frustrated, is getting frustrated, and then you're just throwing the ball down the line into a small box, where I call it. Then it's a headed duel, and then there's a much bigger risk that you're losing the ball than keeping the ball. And it's still happening. It's still happening in the Premier League, still happening in the Champions League. So that's also a reason why with Liverpool FC, in the 17-18 season before I came to the club, Liverpool had a FC had a possession on 45.4% on throw-ins under pressure, where the players are marked. And Liverpool were only number 18 out of 20 in the Premier League, third last. But uh, in my first season, 18-19 season, um, we went to a possession on 68.4% and went from number 18 to number one in the Premier League. Last season, the 19-20 season, we scored 14 goals after throw-in situations. And it's not long throw-ins towards the opponent's goal. We're not, we're not doing that in Liverpool. It's throw-ins from all over the pitch where we're doing something in training. This season, until now, it started late, as you know. We scored five goals. Um, after throwing situations and actually the three of the five goals were in the three first um Champions League games here in, in this group so so um against um yeah both Atalanta uh, Ajax and Midtjylland so um throw-ins are important so so yeah again back to what you said I was totally shocked now we've been playing football for approximately 140 years and <clears throat> I'm 100% sure if I didn't, uh, if I hadn't come to Liverpool in 2018, we could have perhaps have waited 10 years more to get that, what I call perhaps a throwing revolution now. So, so it's a little bit scary, but but um, the football sport has just like developed like really really slow. It's only like the last two three years with all the data and analysis that it's really like like going uh, way up there. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And similar to what Frank touched on, it is really because if you do think about basketball, how much thought gets put into inbound uh, plays or in rugby, how much thought gets put into a line out. It is strange that football took so long to catch up. And I think also most football fans will at least, even if they haven't thought about the importance of throw-ins, I think one thing everyone will have seen is that moment of frustration in a stadium when they feel like there's no movement from a throw-in. And you'll see the sort of home supporters almost, you know, sort of groan and kind of turn on their team a little bit when they see that there's just nothing going on. So when you see a bad throw in, do you usually attribute that? I'm sure it's a balance, but do you attribute it more to the lack of movement from the players in the pitch or to the actual throw and taker themselves? Oh, it's a, it's a combination of everything. It's first of all, you have to go to the throw in taker. Of course, if he's throwing really short, it can can limit his, uh, you know, uh, opportunities of throwing to a teammate. For example, before I, uh, when I started in Liverpool, Andy Robertson could only throw 19 meters, but he improved his throw into 27 meters. So even though, even though he'll never be the world's best at the long throw-in, he has improved his throwing area, like the half circle, with more than 500 square meters. So, so first of all, you have to have a good, really good length on your throw. Then you have to throw precise as a, as a thrower. Then you also have to know when to throw fast and when to have patience. And then you also have to be able to see the space. So that's the throw itself. And then again, out to the players on the, on, on the pitch. So you can say that it, it's really hard for the thrower to see the space if there's no space created. So, so you have to work with that space creation. But it's also important, for example, that that um, 
that when you have a throw-in, uh, that it's not only the the thrower who reacts fast, but also the like two, three, four, five players closest to him who are also reacting fast. That's also helping a lot. And then you can also say it's also up to it's also up to the head coach manager to to train the players. Uh, you know weekly with the throw-ins you don't have to use one half hour but you can go very far with 15 20 minutes and here i'm not talking about throwing technique i'm talking about throwing related drills where you are working with creative create space that's like it looks really a lot like normal football coaching so it's also up to to the coach to like focus on it the whole year because if you're only looking at it in pre-season then they have been forgetting everything in, in in two months so so i think the the runs responsibility is 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 both the, the throw in taker the players out there but also the coaches to make the players sharp around the throw-ins so so when you talk about robertson going from you know 19 to 27 meters in his throw um do you accredit that just to you giving them the proper technique or is there also you kind of providing drills to develop that strength? Cause when I think of footballers, I think a lot of times that, you know, they're endurance athletes. So maybe they don't have that fast twitch explosive uh, movements that you would expect from, from a throw. So is that something where you're also giving them drills to kind of build that muscle or is it mostly just that they have the technique completely wrong? Oh, it's, it's, it's mostly the technique and most players are either having a bad or really bad throw-in technique. And of course, I can understand that because they've never learned to take a throw-in like efficiently. So again, most players improving 5 to 10 meters, some up to 15 meters with my over a period with my throw-in techniques and video analysis. Uh, of course, you can do something physical, but I'll say the technique is perhaps 90% or so. And again, if I have to do something physical, first of all, I'm always talking with the physical coach of the team because I'm I'm not like I'm not with the players every week, so I'm I'm coordinating with him or her there. And then I'll also say if I have to choose between strength and flexibility, I'll choose flexibility every day. Uh, of course, if you can combine flexibility with fast switch fibers and do something there, of course, it's good. But flexibility is the most important physical part. And one of the reasons is that you can say the longer you can take your upper arms behind your head when you're doing the, the throwing movement, the, the longer work way you can have and the more power you can put on the ball. Of course, there's a lot of different technical things. And it's, it's so, so shoulder flexibility is really, really important. Of course, also lower back and back in general. And so... But for me, it's it's 90% uh, technical improvement. So, uh, and one of the reasons is also we have to remember they're also football players. It, it was another thing if they had to go to the Olympics in throw-ins because then you'll probably build a lot of muscles on them, even though it, they'll look a little bit perhaps like javelin throws or so, not like not like shot putters. Um, but you also have to remember that that if you gain. Even though it's muscle, if you gain perhaps five kilos too much in some areas of your body, you can sometimes be slower, but also sometimes it's it's harder for you to change direction. And so I'm not saying mus muscles are harming you as a football player, but I'm just saying too much muscle can harm you. So, so but again, back to your question, it's um, ninety percent technique. I, I think that that's that's uh, yeah that, that that's the improvement. Yeah. Just um... it's, it's, it's it's sorry real quick. It's it's interesting that you mentioned javelin throwers because I also did athletics at university and 
I always remember javelin throwers, a lot of the drills they did looked pretty similar to almost a, a throw in in football. Um, you know, a lot of times when they didn't have the javelin, they, you know, we're using like small med balls, things like that. So I was wondering, ha have you ever looked into taking some of the drills that, you know, other sports like javelin or, or other sports that do a throw in like rugby, have you ever looked at incorporating some of their drills into some of the training methods that you have? Yeah, of, of course. And that's, I think that's my big strength as a coach, because one thing is that I'm analyzing, one thing is that I'm doing talks, but I can do it on the pitch. I've been playing football myself, highest youth level, been doing a lot of throw-ins myself. I'm saying a lot of things from athletics. I was a sprinter, but of course I looked a lot at the throwers too. I've been saying a lot of things from bobsleighing and, and people might think, hey, what, what can you take from bobsleighing? First of all, we, we were very innovative on the Danish bobsleigh team. But we also did a lot of video analysis. We did several thousand video analysis of, of the starts every season. So I've been really like training that. And I'm taking a lot of things from basketball with space grace. And it's not, not so much the inbound because they have like 95% uh, possession. So even though, of course, they have to train that, it's more like the space grace in an open playing basketball. So I've been playing that. So, you know, I can do it myself. It's not only a thing I've been reading in a book. So I think that's my my big strength. So that I'm putting uh, things in, and it's not it's not only it's not only from sports. I'm also looking at animals, for example, birds. If you're looking at birds with the awareness from like like birds who are on one hand want to get some food, on the other hand they're looking after the predators, and so so you can also take some things in there with the awareness in football around fast throwings, and so sometimes if I'm looking at a piece of art in a museum, it could be a painting, um, I'm looking at some lines and then suddenly I see a football pitch in that, inside that paint and I'm seeing some some drills, some patterns. Um, and of course, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm also sometimes saying, okay, I couldn't use that at all. And it's not like everything, every thought I have is like totally genius, but often I'm thinking, hey, maybe it could, uh, you know, uh, maybe I could use that too. So so for me, I'm like, like um, I have total open challenge, inspiration, not only from different areas, sports, arts, nature, but also try to keep my channels open for inspiration from uh, players, staff, uh, coaches, but also in a podcast like this, sometimes there's a question where I'm thinking, hey, I haven't really thought about that angle. So I think, yeah, I try to well, do that. Hopefully we'll give you some inspiration then and, and next time Liverpool score, we can we can take some credit for it. Yeah, yeah, I'll credit you for sure. <laughs> okay, great. <clears throat> Yeah, you're 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 a true sportsman if you're seeing the game winning, the game winning play for a Champions League final in, in a in a piece of Picasso or something like that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have an emotional response. You you're in there like drawing up plays for the next match. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> one thing I was, are there other throw-in coaches? Are you sort of one of a kind, or do you see? And maybe it's a result of the success that you've had. Are you starting to see? other coaches appear specializing in that? No, I've never heard about any other throwing coaches in the world. And I'm not sure there'll be so, uh, so many. I think it'll be more like um, assistant coaches, uh, general set piece coaches, head coaches, managers who are taking my knowledge and use it in their training. Um, <clears throat> one of the most, my biggest goal, one of my biggest goals or perhaps the biggest goal is to 
exchange football with the throw-ins. Of course, it's totally fantastic to win the Champions League and the Premier League with Liverpool FC. If if I told myself that as a kid, I'll, I've probably been saying I was totally crazy. It'll never happen, but it has happened. So it's like a fairy tale. It's like a dream for me. But my my biggest goal is to change football, so we have much bigger, better throw-ins. And it's not only in the biggest leagues. I, I want to change throw-ins from also, uh, yeah, for 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 the kids, for the for the youngsters, for, for the coaches who are yeah coaching youth players for amateur players and because i think it's there are so many uh, awful throw-ins in the game and and probably probably even worse in in youth football and and you can say oh is it just because you want to score more goals more possession no of course that's one of the things because it's it it just makes a better football game but if you knew how many people have had bad experience with with um, throw-ins when they were kids or youngsters i'm talking to so many adult people and many of them are also retired from football because they're like 40 or 50 or so and they're saying to me once in a while, once upon a time i had a an interview with a journalist and it was in denmark and outside on the pitch because he had to take some photos too and he said to me that he was a fullback when he played but he was so awful at the throw-ins and he was getting so nervous every time he had to take a throw-in and he had to take a lot because he was a fullback <clears throat> and it slowly took away his his joy of football because he didn't know what to do and the coach was just screaming and do this and and you know so and then we just just for fun we it was only like long throw-in technique because it was only us two then i just polished a little bit with his technique and he him he improved eight meters on 15 minutes it was not so much that wow. he improved yeah it, it was not so much that he improved the meters but you can just see on him that he just even though he wasn't playing football anymore it was just like something you know came into place because he had had so thousands of bad experience with with throw-ins and there are so many players kids youngsters amateur players who hate to take throw-ins because it's a hard situation they're not educated so my biggest dream is to to change football and the way i want to do that is i'm, I'm at the moment writing a book about throw-ins so because at the moment it's really hard for youth and amateur coaches uh, to afford that I can visit their clubs all around the world. So when I'm when I'm publishing my books about throw-ins, there'll also be, you know, online courses and so that that a pretty normal uh coach, football coach can afford. So so when I'm I'm publishing that, I think that's perhaps the thing I'm looking most forward to in my throwing career because then I know I can I'm making a difference now, but but that would be the day where I, can, where I can make a real, real big difference for people. Yeah, that's really, I mean, I spent three years coaching a sort of youth girls football team. And apart from telling people to move and give a th give the throw and taker options, I don't think we ever paid any attention to, yeah. to what they were doing. I think that was yeah. it. You're part same. of the problem, Eddie. You're yeah, part of the problem. Same, <laughs> it was the same for me at the kind of Starts at the youth level. level. At the schoolboy level in football as well, it was just, you would just be pulled up on foul throws. So you would just be told foul throw and you're like, I, I haven't been told how to do it. And they just say, well, just throw it over your head. And it's not that simple. You know, then they say, oh, it can't be a punch throw. You know, so you've got to actually put your arms back in order to do it. And it, it disheartens you. It becomes such an inconvenient part of the game 
that you never want to do it. I, I was curious about when you said you want to change football and the perception of throw-ins. And I wonder, like, do you think like the international stage, like seeing somehow success of throw-ins at like a World Cup would do it? Or do you think more people need to go into these kind of grassroots levels and put importance on throw-ins? I guess it might be chicken or egg, really, to know where it comes. But do you think like the international stage might help <clears throat> if they see like these incredible, you know, world record breaking throws that lead to goals and then they're suddenly so inspired by these people like do you think that's one way of it happening yeah of course of course uh, one of my big dreams is also like coach uh, a team uh, to the world cup and and of course that will help like getting focused on throwing at the world cup but 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 again i don't think it's it's so necessary anymore because you know most football coaches in the world have seen the, the success from Liverpool FC. And no, even though throw-ins are only a part of it, you know, most most coaches who are like like trying to be better, they have also heard about the throw-ins been doing in Liverpool that I'm doing it too. So I think it's it's only a matter of time that that um you know it's 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 only a question about that I have to publish my book. And uh, because there are so many people writing to me every day, when do you publish the book? When do you publish the book? And I'm saying, oh, I don't know, really. I don't know, really. Let's see. It depends on. But to be honest, it's, it's, it's also a question for me about right now, I'm earning really well with the big clubs. I'm the only one in the world. So it's also a little bit strategy for me. When, when will I publish my book? So... Because I've been, I could publish in three months or so. I've been writing really much, and and I know what to write, and what not to write. Um, so perhaps I'll publish in a year. Perhaps it'll be the next summer again. I, um, so I like that, Thomas. I like the idea that you've got all the secrets, you've got all the info. Keep hold of it. I I completely understand it. You know, you're the only person in the world, like you said at the start. You are probably the world's most knowledgeable person about throw-ins i can fully see you keeping this information yeah yeah you're, you're totally right and i'm thinking that myself but but i'm in this like dilemma that on one hand you can say i'm getting a lot of attention i'm working with some of the best teams in the world having success earning well but on the other hand i also know that i can make a like gigantic difference for so many people so, you know, it's a little bit hard um, when to do it and when not to do it. So, um, yeah, it, it's also a question about I'm, I'm not a wealthy man, even though I've been earning OK the last two years. You know, I'm having what I should have like in life. I have a wife. I have uh, two kids. You know, one of the best things I know is just to have a cup of cup of coffee, talking with good people. So so you can also say you're coming to one stage where you have had enough success. So 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 other things are meaning even more. So so again, you're totally right. I can I can follow you um with your argument there. I've been thinking that myself. So but there are these two like uh, pillars who are <laughs> you you know uh, inf uh, influencing on on me and my decision about publishing so so let's see when it will happen so so i kind of just had a uh, like a, a more fun question i guess you know you said it's great working with all these top clubs and and all that what's 
one of the one of the neat things about working with a top club that you wouldn't expect, you know, like, is it great to go in there and see they have these amazing facilities or do they have like top notch private chefs? You love going to the Liverpool's training facility because you're going to get the best lunch you've had in months or, you know, is, is there something about that aspect that that's really cool that, you know, you get to work with these, you know, super wealthy clubs that other people aren't experiencing? <laughs> Yeah, first of all, I say I love my job now. If people ask me now, would you rather be full-time in one club or be freelance and then have like the last two seasons have been having like eight clubs or so per season, I'd rather be freelance because I'm traveling so much. And even though, of course, I'm working a lot, you know, every day I'm having normally having four, six, eight hours for myself. And when I have that, when I'm not like analyzing or preparing the next day, I'm just... Now it's the Corona period, but normally I'm just walking around the city, seeing everything, museums, churches, nature. So I love that part. So that's one thing about traveling to so many different clubs. But then again, the clubs uh, themselves, I should say, first of all, let's take Liverpool. Now we just moved to Kirkby, but you know, the best food I ever had that was like in, in uh, Melwood because there are so many different things to choose from and the quality is just like top, 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 top. So that's perfect. And then also like traveling on training camp. I had my, I've been in Evian in France twice with Liverpool. And I'm also been, I also been in Marbella with Liverpool. Uh, I've been in Austria with, with, um, with Ajax, Spain with Gens, Florida with Atlanta United, Qatar with Ajax and things like that. But if I had to like, tell about the first training camp with, with Liverpool FC, that was like end of July, early August 18. It was Evian and we, uh, we lived in this Hotel Royale. And you know, normally um, I, have to, I have tried to, to live on the OK Hotel before, but when I came into the reception, I came myself traveling from Denmark. I saw the hotel rooms and they were like, from 700 to 7,000 euros per night. So, and it was like, you know, my own room and like big balcony, like panorama view over the lake. And I could see all the way over to Switzerland, to Lausanne. We had our own total floor for ourselves, And also outside we had our own like level where no one else could come and, and security and, so even though I've been traveling a lot with athletics and bobsling, it's never been like luxurious like so. And I'll also say it's not the important part for me. But hey, when you are there, you might as well enjoy it. So uh, <laughs> it's, an, it's a nice yeah. perk. I just yeah. I just looked I just looked up that hotel. It, yeah, I can tell our listeners it looks absolutely amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's probably on a lot of people's focus boards for like one of their goals in life to stay there. <laughs> yeah. Terrible perks at a job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you kind of touch on because you work with multiple clubs at any one time. And I assume, I mean, maybe if you tell us the clubs you're currently working with, I don't know if you always can. Um, but some of these clubs play against each other. I think you're working with two clubs. I don't know if you're still so still working with Liverpool. You've worked with Ajax in the past. I don't know if you still are, but when they play against each other, um, are you? Do they ever give you a bit of pressure to sort of reveal secrets about what the other club is doing? And also, do you feel almost a little bit of a kind of conflict of interest in the sense that you're helping them both in an attacking sense and a defensive sense, and you're sort of pinning your advice 
kind of against itself? You can say I haven't really tried it with Liverpool here because this Champions League group with Ajax, Midtjylland and uh, Liverpool, um, I'm still working at Liverpool, that's my third season, but I worked with Ajax last season and I, I'm not working with Midtjylland this season, but the last 10 years I worked with Midtjylland. And, and, and it's just like if I'm working with a club and I'm not working with other clubs, I'm of course I'm not giving any information. And if I've been working with for example, two clubs in the same group. Let's say I've still worked with Ajax and I wouldn't have get, get, been giving any information on, you know, the other clubs. So that I try to be really professional there. I tried it once in um, in Denmark where I had like two clubs from the Danish Super League, uh, FC Midtjylland and then uh, Vibor. And it was a bit like schizophrenic, if you can say that. Oh, that was a fantastic throw-in. Oh, Bad marking. So, you know, so, but that's the way it is when you're freelance throwing coach. And you, but you know, the, the clubs themselves have, um, have the option to, you know, uh, pay me for only coaching them in, in their league. Um, so, and if they don't want to do that, I can coach other teams. That That's just the way it is. And you can say back to your question, who you're coaching this season, still coaching um, Liverpool FC. I'm also coaching, that's actually my third season, um, uh, a, a Belgium team from uh, the second league, Royal Union Saint-Galois or so. They are currently number one in the second league in Belgium. So I'm not only coaching like first league teams, pre James league teams and so. Um, then I'm then I'm having a, f a couple of um, secret teams I can reveal at the moment, and then I'm also like having first of all probably going to sign with another um, Champions League team in a short while, uh, in a few days, and then I'm also having several requests from from uh, MLS. Let's see if we get a signing there in, in the next weeks. And then I'm also, it, it's also having like uh, communication with teams from uh, South America too. So you can say it's, it's, um, it's actually the whole world who are interested in, in yeah, my, my service. And, and because the clubs can also see that even though I'm, I'm pretty well paid, the reward they're getting for my help is like, hundred or a thousand times bigger. So yeah. So so and that's that's a good thing with data because if I'd made it, these wrestlers with Liverpool FC like 20 years ago, they couldn't really measure it. And then it was just oh he's just a throwing coach. So what? So um so but of course it's a little special with the like the corona period here. Of course um I I can travel to countries where it's allowed to travel. And right now I've been having like a period for months or so where I couldn't come into England, uh, but I can travel to other countries. Of course, I have to take care of quarantine and and having uh, Corona tests and everything like that. So, but you know, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty open. So I expect this, this season to again, come up to these like eight or 10 different clubs around the world. Wow. It's impressive. I guess that kind of maybe brings us on to, because we had, I know you're, you'll be eager to get off to watch the Liverpool match tonight. Um, we had a few questions from our listeners when they knew that you were coming on. And one question that we did have was, if you could work with one specific player 
or one specific club? Is there a club that you kind of admire their approach to throw-ins, even though you haven't worked with them? Or do you look around and you think that without that specialization, almost any club would be suitable for you to step in and help them? Or is, or is there a team you watch and you just can't, you like shake your head. You can't even look at the screen anymore. Cause it's so bad. <laughs> You're desperate for them to call you. <laughs> no, I, I'll say that I've been, I, I have stopped, um, you know, doing that with my head every time there's a bad throw. And because I was starting getting problems with my neck. So I'm just like sitting still now. So <laughs> no, I, I'll say most clubs that's like, I don't know, 95%, they can really improve their throw-ins a lot. Then there are a few teams who are beginning to learn a little bit. Um, I'm not really saying any specific team I really want to coach, uh, but I'll say I'll, I haven't been coaching in uh, La Liga yet. I haven't been coaching in Serie A yet. Um, so that'll be totally cool. And of course, some of the top teams there could be, could be pretty cool too. Uh, but then I'd just like to, um, I just like to uh, travel the world and see the world. I'm, I'm so lucky at the moment that I can do what I love the most, coaching throw-ins. It's my hobby. It's my passion. I can get okay paid and I can travel the world, meet a lot of fantastic people that that couldn't be better so you know so perhaps some of the some teams from CAR La Liga and then just all around the world doesn't matter where it is I, I just want to inspire people okay that's yeah it's a good answer and I guess along a similar lines if you think of like a player say like Rory Delap who would give you just a huge weapon in terms of the long throw would you rather work with a team that had, and and you'll probably give me a really diplomatic answer and say either one, but would you rather work with a team that did have just a long throw weapon in that style or a team maybe more like what you're having to do with Liverpool where you're working more on the fast throwing? I'll say that, that I'd rather work with clubs who are focusing, uh, you know, on, on the fast and clever throwing. I'll still be doing the long throwing coaching because it's just so important to get, get that uh, throwing area up. Uh, but I'll say that if I have to choose between a club who only focuses on the long throwing and then, you know, the fast and clever throwings, so I'll prefer fast and clever throwings. And one of the reasons is that I started like start developing this long, fast and clever throwing philosophy in 2007 and right up to 2000, until 2018, where your club called me directly. I've been coaching a lot of clubs also, for example, in Brentford in, in, in England for two seasons, but all the clubs I've been coaching, they only want my knowledge around the long throwing. So I, I was just so frustrated. So, and right now I'm, I'm sometimes also saying no, if there's a team who only want to do the long throwings, nothing else, because you know, it's, it's like only using like 10% of, of, of the team's potential. It's of course, I'll, I still love to see a, a really good long, hard and, fast flat throwing that's really dangerous and I can improve most of the players again with five to ten meters some up to 15 so if there are some clubs out there who want to use the throwing long throwing as a weapon I'm I'm, I'm really open to listening and I also say that I think that Rory D-Lab was fantastic because Stoke was really set up for these long throw-ins but again I prefer to work with the teams who are focusing on the throw-ins all around the pitch because it gives much more to them. Yeah, 
That's that's interesting, actually, because I remember in the early 2000s, uh, you had um, like Bolton under Sam Allardyce as well, like using the long throw just to cause havoc and really mess up really kind of good, good looking teams like Arsenal. Uh, with that approach, but then you've got Rory Delap at Stoke. I remember vividly uh, Dave Challoner at Tranmere Rovers, and the the incredible cup runs they actually beat Liverpool. Um, it was John Aldridge beat Liverpool with Tranmere with Dave Challoner, and they basically just went to League Cup finals, giant killed, all because of the long throw. And I, I remember growing up, and it just caused havoc, and it really, in a way revolutionized the game because you had these teams playing on the ground constantly, good tick attack or I guess football and then all of a sudden Sam Allardyce comes in Tramia Rovers um, the Stoke team as well and they they force teams to be more competitive in the air have taller players slow it down in a way so that's particularly interesting to hear yeah I'll say uh, again I think I mentioned before but like totally thumbs up to Stoke what they did then because they had a really specific playing style and they're like went all in on the set pieces, especially the throw-ins, scored a lot of goals, but they also had, as I remember, eight players in the start of 11 who was one meter 90 or above. So it's like, like, like giants, all of them. And you can also say that we could, I, I could easily make Liverpool score 10 goals on long throw-ins in the Premier League every season because, um, I know he's injured right now, but we have uh, Joe Gomez and he's been throwing 37.20 in a test. That's um, that's approximately the penalty uh, spot in the air uh, or perhaps even longer. And we saw he assisted that goal against Croatia in the Nations League a couple of years back. But we, you also have to remember that if you want to score 10 goals on long throwings, and you can do that. I had four seasons with FC Midtjylland where we scored 35 goals, like nine goals per season. One season with AC Horsens, we scored 10 goals in the Super, Danish Super League. You can do that with Liverpool FC too, but you have to remember if you want to score 10 goals on long throw-ins, you'll probably have to take 10, 12, 15 long throw-ins in a match. And you want to see Liverpool uh, stop up and take 30 to 45 seconds to take 10 to 15 long throw-ins in every match? No, because it's not Liverpool's playing style. It's more like fast, attacking, energy. So it's it, when you have to look uh, and, and, and think about, do you want to use long throw-ins as a set-piece weapon then and score a lot of goals, then you have to take a lot of long throw-ins. Okay, you can also go a little bit you know, in the middle and say, okay, we, we are perhaps taking one, two or three long throw-ins in a match and that's it. So, but, but, but you also have to look at the playing style and see, is that a philosophy you'll use? And if you want to do it, it's okay for me. You know, I have nothing against team who are going all in on long throw-ins. You just have to build your team up to that. So, um, yeah. So, so we have another question from our listener. This is from uh, an American listener. So he obviously wants to sound super educated about, about the sport. Uh, but he said in the late nineties, when the back pass rule modification was extended to goalkeepers, it had a massive in impact on throw-ins in the defensive third. Is there any additional tweaks or changes to the current throw-in laws that you'd like to see change or altered? No, not really. I think, I think the throw-in <laughs> laws in soccer i'd rather say soccer when it's american who's asking 
<laughs> I think they're pretty fine. I heard some, a lot of people in, in Denmark, because in Denmark, they're saying a lot of long throw-ins. A lot of people have been saying that, oh, we don't want to wait 30 or 45 seconds. Let's have a, let's have a, a, a throw-in stop clock so you can only use 15 seconds or so. But, you know, I, I don't think, I think the throw-in rules are really fine. Um, I actually think they're perfect. Some, some, some people, for example, as in Vindia, have been saying, oh, we want kick-ins instead because it's hard to take a throw-in. But the only reason why it's hard to take a throw-in is because the teams are not working with the throw-ins and they're not seeing what tools they can use. And, and so I actually think it will be a big, big, big mistake to use kick-ins instead because you'll get one of two things. Either you'll have long kick-ins and we don't want to see that. We'll have a lot of long balls or we'll have these like kick-in situations like a short corner where you can't go near the kick-in taker. And then it'll be a little bit like in futsal. We have a lot of start passes that are unpressured. And what's really great with throw-ins is that that we have a lot of pressure, pressure situation, but can you release these pressure situation with movements to create space? It's it, it's fantastic, entertaining, but you can also look into the different ways of creating pressure. And can you get out of pressure? You'll you'll have fantastic situations, transitions, shifting play, playing in more open space. And if you're looking and at every sport like hockey, basketball, American football, um basketball if you don't have pressure there you'll you'll never have have fantastic situations so for me like like using kick-ins instead of throw-ins that'll be the biggest mistake ever and it's not because of me because i'm a throwing coach i'll, I'll find another thing to do but you know we have to take this road about making the players better, also the coaches, educating them in, in throwing situations. And then it's much more entertaining. Then my goal is that we in five or 10 years when I've been publishing my book. And so there's a guy sitting in, in the couch and he's, he's, uh, the, the, his mate is going into the kitchen for a beer and then he's yelling, hey, there's a throw-in, come and see, because we we are just looking forward, how will they create space now? It's a little bit the same in basketball, we're looking, how will, will they set that three-point shooter up or how, how will they set the center up inside by creating space for him? So it's the same with the throw-in, so, so back to your question, I don't think we have to change any throw-in rules, it's, it's, it's more a matter about educating uh, coaches, players, and giving them more knowledge so we can have much better use of these situations. That's a great answer. Yeah, I think you you also addressed, we had a follow-up question from another listener about the Arsene Wenger pushing for the, the kick-in instead of the throw-in. So you, you got you got two questions, answered two questions in one there. So that was, that was pretty good. Thanks. Maybe as a final question, from me at least, when you look around world football at the moment, um, is there a single player that you watch him take throw-ins and you're sort of really impressed by? Or or because it's more of a team mentality, does, does, does the individual not stand out? I'll say that my answer now is really subjective because I'm coaching them myself, but I've been asked several times who are the best throwing takers in the world. And I'll say Andy Robertson and, and Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, it's both because, you know, they've been improving their throwings. It's not, it's not because they're one of the best long throwers, but they've been improved their throws. They're really precise, but they really know when to th um, 
throw the ball fast, when to to have patience. But they're also seeing space. But of course, it's also easier for them to to uh, see space being created when they're actually being space created because, you know, being fullback on a team where the players are not moving, that's a really tough job to make a good throw in. And you also have to remember that, like, last season we scored 14 goals after throwing situation. Already now, this this early stage of the season, five goals, so, like, a little bit over one and a quarter season, it's been, like, 19, 19 goals after throwing situation. And, and I can't remember how many Trent and Robo did each, but I think they assisted all of them. And to be able to see that kind of space, it's it's it's... You really have to have a high throwing intelligence. So, so even though the, the the answer perhaps is a little bit boring, then I'll say that the two I admire the most with throw-ins are Robo and and Trent. If they're the it's, best, and the, they're the best. I mean, there's no. And also, I guess if you know you're the one helping them out, it, it's natural that your your coaching might also have a, a small impact on that anyway. So, I think that's a fair answer. If, if I was put up in a hotel like that as well, I'd say them. I'd say Liverpool players too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess my last question is is a little more random one. Um, how scary is it to be a bobsledder? It's really scary. <laughs> yeah, it's really scary. Actually, yeah, I, I came from athletics there. The reason why I changed from athletics was not because I had a low in athletics. It was because I actually set personal records on 100 and 200 meters in 2002. But I was, I had moved to a small town in Denmark uh, because I met my wife. And I don't know if any of you have tried to do something stupid because of love, but I moved to this small city training alone. So it was only like, even though I've never been better in athletics, it was suddenly only numbers on a paper. So I, I, I want to change to a team sport. And um, I've, there was this Danish bobsleigh team who started in 1998 and followed them a little bit because they also trained in the summer on athletics tracks to uh, where I was training in. I was fast. I was the fastest guy in Denmark on 100 meters that time. I was, I was strong and I was all, also heavy. At that time, weighing 90, 91 kilos, really heavy for a sprinter. So I knew I had the physical abilities to be a really good bobsleigh, but I was really afraid, can, can I be a bobsleigh? Because I've always been afraid of roller coasters. Always as a kid, my, my mom said, hey, you have to try the roller coaster. It's funny, but I, I was just puking every time after that. So, you know, I was so scared. So... I trained all summer with the bobsleigh team in 2002, and then I had to make my first run down the ice track in in uh, October 2002 in uh, German Königssee. And you you have to remember, bobsleigh is going 130 to 150 kilometers in top speed. You're crashing sometimes. And I said, we just I just had to put the two man sled. I said to the pilot Tom. I don't know if I really uh, dare to do this because I'm afraid of roller coasters. And so, and suddenly, you know, it was far away when we did the summer train, but suddenly I was standing on the top of that ice track. <laughs> then he bought a sled where the pilot could break the sled. Normally it's the brakeman who has to do that. So I should only push the sled and sit down. And you know, it was the wildest thing I ever done. It was like hundred times more wild than a roller coaster, but I didn't get sick of it. So, and I, I think I had the ability to cope with, with that you know, wildness in the bobsleigh. And I've seen a lot of big guys, much bigger than me, with much bigger muscles and much bigger mouths than me, 
before coming like, hey, Bobsley, how can that, that's not a thing for me. It can't be so hard. So, and then after the first ride without crashing, they're saying never again in my whole life. So a lot of people are, are saying, hey, Bobsley, just like a roller coaster, it's a thousand times more wild. And I, but I could do it for four years. It was not like because I'm a tough person. I could just use some mental tools and so try to think about what will happen when I crash or when we crash, what will I do? And I tried to crash several times and also went to the hospital in Italy after crash and so. So, so but you know, it learned me and all the other guys on the team a lot. We were traveling... Um, you know, 20 weeks per year. We're traveling all Europe, Canada, the States, and we were together uh, 24 hours, seven days a week, most of the time, three or four weeks in a row, then home one week in the winter season, then away again, three or four um, weeks in a row too, and then on and on. So I'll say that a lot of people might not think it has a lot to do, to, to do with being a throwing coach. But again, I picked the innovation from our bobsled team. I picked the video analysis. And also, I think it gave me a lot of, uh, you know, toughness. So I think it's been helping a lot when there's been a lot of people laughing about me. I know there are uh, many different, many things who are more dangerous than people laughing at you. So. Yeah, I would say bobsledding is definitely yeah, one of those more dangerous. <laughs> if I've got a choice between a bunch of people laughing at me after this episode or me having to hop in a in a bobsled, I know which one I'm choosing. <laughs> I'll take the laughter. You, you said you never got sick of it, but did you ever just get sick? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't, didn't have any problems with my stomach. So, um, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, but it's it's a cool sport if you, you can... You can if you can do it, if you can handle it. Yeah, so. and it's, it's 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 interesting you talk about, you know, being a sprinter because I know in the U.S. now, they actually like to recruit sprinters to be on a bobsled team. So the fam- the most famous one now is Lolo Jones. Uh, she yeah. was recruited to be on a U.S. female. But um, one of my good friends is is a, a Olympic shot putter, and he said that they used to have the sprinters kind of do this training tests it was like three or four exercises and they would rate them and if they ranked high enough they would actually invite them to do yeah. the the training and, and things like that so it's it's kind of neat i mean it's 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 a very strange transition but i i can see you know the with the muscles and the speed and all that so it's it's yeah. really cool yeah you're you're often using you're often using explosive guys so both sprinters as you say but it can also be like shot putters discus throwers or people coming from weightlifting and normally they'll they'll like like uh, push in the second position on a four-man slit because you only have to run in the second position 30 35 maximum 40 meters and you can say the fourth man both in the the two man but also four-man slit has to run 60 70 meters a little bit downhill too so if you say uh, if you put a like a big shot putter there he'll break the sled uh, too much so so there are different kinds of types who are good at at, at bobsleighing but they all have to be explosive uh, in one way or another so uh, yeah and maybe maybe a last question and hopefully one you've never been asked before which liverpool player do you think would be the best bobslayer Oh, I think um, I think Virgil van Dijk will be so amazing because first of all, I think he uh, he is fast. He has a really good top speed. He uh, he's also strong, 
and he's also pretty heavy. It's really important to say that if you're weighing 70 kilos, you'll never be a bobsledder in your whole life. Uh, you have to weigh at least like these 90s, some get, gain some kilos and so. Um, so Virgil van Dijk, because he's fast, he's heavy, he's also... He's also seeming like he's uh, like mental tough too, like like uh, he could be a bobsledder too. So um, yeah, I'll probably like to have a Virgil on my team. Great, interesting. Well, I guess we can, unless Frank, Sam, do you have any final questions or? No, 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 all good for me. Thank you. No, it's it's yeah, it's been a pleasure. This was great. Yeah, really. Thank you so much. I'm suffice to say, I'm a convert now. Like, <laughs> I, I, I will be watching throw-ins far more meticulously than I ever have in my life. Uh oh! So don't, don't, convert. don't publish your book. You might see yeah. Samuel Jones, <laughs> English throws coach, coming out now. Uh, <laughs> damn. Well, what I'll say, if I have to say the last thing myself too, then um, you know, even though there might be a little time before I publish my book, I'm giving away some. Uh, free throwing drills on my homepage um, is my four best basic throwing drills. It's about space creation in the near area of the thrower. You can use them from U10 up to pros. I'm also using them in Liverpool. You can get them on um, thomasgronemark.com slash free. So uh, already, uh, already almost uh, 3,500 coaches who have been picking the drills up like in a few months so um yeah so the listeners are welcome to pick them up perfect yeah. sounds like a great resource and i'm sure all of our listeners now will be paying much closer attention to throw-ins i think yeah, yeah. you might so that's going to be interesting we'll hopefully uh give people a new appreciation of a of maybe a, a part of the game that they hadn't really thought about but thanks you're thomas it's been it's been great you're converting the world one yeah. podcast at a time yeah <laughs> You're totally right. You're totally right. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you again. Much. Thanks so much. Thanks. Have a good one. Yeah.